Yeah! But that didn't stop the devil. Did it? Stop them, man. Not in your job. But that is not how you do the devil. So, how are we going to do it, God? Alright, I need to Here's what you do on this foot. Straight down, and go back to the spirit zone, until Zachariah is white Elizabeth to come home and board. Elizabeth? She's old! Oh! Old people are messy!
Has your parade been rained on one too many times? Your foot been stepped on far too many times? Are you disappointed with the people in your life? Your friends, your family, your loved ones, your peers, your co-workers. How about your God? I'd like to speak to you today on the subject of how to handle disappointment. And when we read our text, you're going to think, what? But just hang with me and let me build a case with this text. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. Paul was writing to a young minister. He says, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. Maybe it's 2 Timothy. 14. Yes. No, it is. Yes. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. There are six points here. There are keys to handle disappointment. But first let's talk about our context. The preceding verses have been dealing with church government and the qualifications for leadership in the church, which are to be reflected in all of our lives all the time. This specific text here, though, is about more than how to behave in church, because there are other passages that deal with that subject. The writer here is talking about how to live as a believer 24-7. That is, one who's a member of God's church every day, and not just Sunday. The following passage, chapter 4, begins by talking about the spiritual chaos that exists in the last days, which certainly is our days. We're not living in chaotic days. And some departing from the faith and giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. These indeed are discouraging times in which we need to understand how to live with courage and hope in the midst of disappointment more often than not. So sandwiched in between here on a description of church leadership and the perilous times in which we come, uh, in which we live, is the way we are to behave in the church of God. Not in the church service per se, but those of us who are in the church 24-7, there's more than Sunday morning Christianity going on in our life, well, this is what he's talking about. Today we're going to take a fresh look at Jesus Christ and learn from what this verse says about him to see how we can live godly in ungodly times. How to live godly in ungodly times or how to handle disappointment. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, Preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. Six keys for facing difficulties. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Now he's just talking about he's writing so that we know how to conduct ourselves, those of us who are part of the church. And the mystery of godliness is a great mystery. This is something that most Christians only glance at. But it's a common agenda that God has for all of our lives. Christianity is not just about going to heaven when you die. Who knows that's true. It's about a plan that God has for your life. And His plan for all of our lives is the same plan, yet there's a unique expression of that plan. The uniqueness may be that you're called to be a missionary somewhere. Or you're called to serve the kingdom of God right where you are. Or you're called to send someone somewhere. We we're not going to talk about the unique aspects of our calling, but we're going to talk this morning about our common calling. And that is a call to become godly. This is a mystery. How do we become godly or like God? Uh, Romans chapter 8, if you could turn there, we'd like to look at two verses. This is a verse that we all know and love. Romans 8, verses 28 through 29. 
This mystery of godliness is a foundational principle that lets us go on to understand more about how to handle disappointment. Knowing that God wants us to be godly, that is, he plans to make us like himself, it enables us to see beyond just the temporary disorder or disappointment that we're experiencing. Romans 8.28 says, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Many people read that and they just get all caught up in debating about what predestination means. I'll tell you exactly what it means. It means that God intends to make you like his son. And he's had that intention from the foundation of the world. Before the human race existed, he had the intention of making you like his son. His son was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. I love the drama that we saw today. And how that drama was played out in heaven, we don't know exactly, but I believe it was played out even before the world began. That's the awesome God that we live. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, verse, verse 28 of Romans 8, to those who are called according to his purpose. Then he states the purpose, verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. <clears throat> this is about more than going to heaven. This is more, about more than getting your name put in the Lamb's Book of Life and getting um, yourself saved. He's a Savior. We can't get ourselves saved. He's a Savior. We call on Him and He saves us. Aren't you thankful for His mercy and grace? But in saving us, He has a plan. You know, if you have a savings account, you have a plan for that money. Either it's there for emergencies, or it's there for a vacation, or it's there for your retirement. But you have saved, you are saving that money for a purpose. Well, God has saved you and I for a purpose. And the purpose is to make us like His Son. And when we're disappointed in life, we lose sight of that. Now, in dealing with disappointments, I'm not talking about sickness. Because I believe that God desires for us to be whole and well. And our faith and our prayers are in that avenue. And we do not condemn sick people. The whole lack of faith scriptures that people use to preach on how faith can hinder God doing things is never placed on the shoulders of the sick person. It's on the shoulders of the disciples who had little faith and couldn't set the young boy free from his problem. And, and the disciples that were afraid in the boat that was about to sink. What we're preaching today is a faith-building message on how to stay through the storms of life, how to stand in disappointment, and how to do more than just pick yourself up by your own bootstraps, but how to think about life and the things you and I don't like so that the character of Christ can be formed in us more speedily. Amen? Amen. So, we've got to understand that God is so awesome that He is able to take everything in our lives, including our greatest disappointments, and use them for His glory, either by resolving and healing them, or by using them to develop the character of Jesus Christ in us. We're going to look at how He does this through the lens of 1 Timothy 3.16 and God's eternal purpose for our lives, which is to be like Jesus. This is a mystery many times because we avoid it. But it is the truth. And it's an awesome mystery. If we will seek to apply this passage, 1 Timothy 3.16, to our own lives, not only understanding it, but applying it, we will not only handle our disappointment successfully, but we will become more godly. Great is the mystery of godliness. Number one, God was manifested in the flesh. This is Jesus Christ. God manifested in the flesh. He said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. God sent his Son. His own self's representation in the flesh. Who went about everywhere doing good. Showing people everywhere what God was alive. But this involved 
the total surrender of his will to the will of the Father. This involved facing the greatest disappointment that any human could ever face by being rejected by those whom he loved, slandered by people who he cared for, and killed by those whom he had never harmed. This is very disappointing, is it not? But he endured because it was the Father's will for his life to endure those things. God was manifested in the flesh, and in so doing, he faced great disappointment, but overcame it with great victory. The mystery of godliness is revealed in our lives. Whenever we show what God is like everywhere we go, which will involve the complete surrender of our will to God's will, like Christ did, especially when we are disappointed. When God's will doesn't cross my will, the Christian life is just, oh, hallelujah. Brother, just claim the blood of Jesus and all your troubles will go away. But there are times when what you want and what God wants will cross each other, and this is the cross. Jesus said that we are to deny ourselves, take up our cross, he's recorded three or four times in the Gospels, and follow him. Not follow ourselves, but follow him. So my first point in handling disappointment. Oh, there's our text. Is we should completely surrender to God and His will. God was manifested in the flesh. Next point, He was justified in the spirit. Jesus laid down His reputation being falsely accused by evil people whom he loved. This is real disappointment. And he allowed his justification and vindication to come from the Father and kept his mouth shut when falsely accused. Which, by the way, is the only kind of reaction to hurt that really works. You know, when you're arrested, they have to read you your rights. You have a right to remain silent as one of the rights. Anything that you say may be used against you in the court of honor. And when people are out, when, when people are out to hurt you, to slander you, to prove some evil that they're accusing you of, they'll use anything you say to defend yourself against you. They'll take it and twist it. They'll read between the lines. They'll work on you to use it against you. And so Christ knew that evil existed in the heart of man. And so when he was falsely accused, he just kept his mouth shut and waited on vindication to come from God. And boy, did it ever come. Did it not? 1 Peter 2.21 says, For to this you recall, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. So when we are disappointed by someone whom we love who turns against us, we have to commit ourselves to the one who judges righteously and trust him. Because self-vindication does not work. It gets all twisted up. It becomes messy. It's hard. Just pardon my French. It's hard to shovel crap without getting it on you. <laughs> You'll wind up doing counter accusations and slandering yourself. Get out of God's way. Embrace the cross. Hold on. The story is not over. When we are disappointed by those who misjudge, accuse, or slander us, like Jesus, we must commit ourselves to the one who judges righteously. God will not vindicate those who vindicate themselves. Hebrews 10.30 says that vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith God. And again, the Lord will judge his people. So the second key in handling disappointment is to let God be your vindication. Now this is, I'm talking about the most extreme part of disappointment. So that I cover all disappointments today. Maybe your disappointment, the thing you're grieved about, isn't someone slandering you or someone close to you turning against you and, 
and give you the Judas kiss. I mean, that, that, that really is the ultimate disappointment. If your disappointment is that, trust me, it all, it, it's not as bad as that. Right? People may disappoint us, but there's no disappointment as great as, as betrayal. So, if your disappointment isn't great as betrayal, please don't brush my saying aside, because this applies to your case as well. God wants you to come through this more like Jesus than ever before. Let God be your justifier. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels. Seen by angels. What is this being seen by angels? I mean, angels are everywhere. They can they can see us, so okay. They see us, they see him. What is this deal about the mystery of godliness? Manifest okay, I got that. Justify the spirit, I see that. Seen by angels. What is this? Well, I personally believe that angels have an assignment. And their assignment is to help us fulfill the plan of God for our life. They don't exist for us to boss around and use as our servants. They are God's servants. Therefore, whatever God's will is for your life, they are sent to help you fulfill that. Invisible agents. So God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit. So this manifestation of God in the flesh, who was justified by God, was seen by angels. In other words, Angels helped him fulfill the plan of God for his life. In his greatest battle before the cross, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, Not my will, but thine be done. And so intense is his prayer that he's swaying, as it were, the King James says, great drops of blood. And the book of Luke says, an angel came, appeared to him, and strengthened him. I don't know if the angel spoke a word of encouragement, or the angel said, you can do it! Or the angel laid hands on him and prayed for him, I don't know. But the angel helped see to the need that he had to fulfill the plan of God, which was to lay down his will, so that the Father's will could reign supreme, so that the payment for our sins can be paid for by his enduring world's greatest disappointment. Okay. Angels are in our life to help us become the same thing. There's believers I know, some even in this room, who went through an incredible trial, great heartbreak, and their testimony is they seem to be aware of the nearness of God with an intensity they had never experienced before. What is that? I think that's a ministry of angels. Helping see to the need that they have so that they can fulfill, they could, you could fulfill the plan of God in your life. And part of that plan is to become like Jesus. So, when we're disappointed, we need to recognize the real drama. Because the angels do. They know what's really going on. It's not the flat tire. It's not the dinged up brand new car. It's not the burnt roast or the broken refrigerator or the freezer full of rotten food because it's gone out. It's you and I becoming like Jesus. I love the little play we had. I, I hadn't seen it before, so preparing the sermon, I just had a big idea. So this this thing I'm about to do uh, was just kind of by accident, or maybe someone higher understood what was happening today. What if the angels did reports like sportscasters do? I grew up in Illinois when I was in Africa, in Illinois, in WLS, in Chicago. 
was a famous radio station. Anybody ever heard of WLS? AM radio. <laughs> Harry Carey, I think reported, was it the White Sox? The Cubs. Both. Both? Well, I was raised in a, in a denomination that taught sports was a sin, so I would listen to it anyway. <laughs> TV was a sin, so I couldn't watch it, but I remember Harry Carey saying, and how's the pitch? And he swings and holy cow! Over the fence, another home run for the Chicago White Sox. Sure, it would have been for the Cubs. <laughs> what if the Angels, on their days off, watch highlights channel? And there's Gabriel coming to an old woman named Elizabeth. No, coming to her husband. <laughs> and he strikes him dead. He strikes him dumb. So that he cannot quench what God wants to do. There's Gabriel. He appears to the young virgin Mary. Will she accept and call? This will forever change her life. She'll be greatly honored, but it's going to be a hard trial. She's going to disappoint a lot of people for going to the Father's will here. And she accepts the pitch. There she is kneeling down, saying, Be it unto me, according to thy word. There's Joseph. Oh, this is a tough one here. Can Gabriel pull it off? <laughs> and Joseph accepts the call of God. Awesome. There is Jesus in the garden. Will he make the right decision? Will he fulfill the Father's will? And there's Gabriel. I don't know I'm going to do that. One of the angels is down there helping him. And he prays, Not my will, but thine be done. And he scores one for the Father. <laughs> if that is a reality, there will be instance on that channel of your life and my life. And there's Billy Bob. Will he go back to the moment because of disappointment? Or will he say yes to the will of Father? And he says yes, he scores. And there's Susie Q. Susie Q. Her self-willed, selfish ways are being crossed. Will she get angry at God and power? Will she say yes to the Father's will and surrender and become more like Jesus? Are we able to make this sister God's son? Yes, it took us a few years, but hallelujah, we scored. I'll stop. You got the point. <laughs> like my mother, we'd a whole lot rather take a woman than her exhortation because it could just go on and on. There's any playwrights in the room, maybe you can do something, do something with that. Recognize the real drama. He was seen by angels. He was screeched among the Gentiles. This is, this is significant because he came to his people. He came to the Jews. He came to Israel. But the door was slammed in his face. Have you ever been disappointed by an open door that got closed in your face? Did another one eventually open? Or did you become angry and impatient resulting in running from another possible opportunity? Being rejected by our own people was certainly a disappointment to Christ, but it resulted in the enlargement of his ministry of reconciliation. Romans 11 says that Israel's fall from grace resulted in blessing to the Gentiles. It goes on to say, if their rejection has brought blessing, what will their rest restoration be but life from the dead? Even greater blessing to the Gentiles as the Jews are returning to Christ. There's now, I think, 200 Christian congregations. <coughs> Messianic congregations in the land of Israel. More Jews are turning to Christ in our day than in the preceding 20 centuries in the church. The book of Acts has lots of stories 
about doors being closed to the gospel and the ministry of Christ's apostles, and yet others opening, resulting in even greater results. Could it be that the disappointment you're facing may actually not be a denial, it's just a delay, it's just a reappointment rather than a disappointment. Where the test comes in is, is that waiting period between the closing of one door and the opening of the next door. That's tough. It's in that period where God wants to make us more like His Son. For eight years I had a job that I hated with every fiber of my being. But God was developing character in me. Servanthood. Burning. Well... Some of the selfishness out of me. My wife's in the congregation. I can't say burning all selfishness out of me. <laughs> so our fourth point here in dealing with disappointment is we need to enlarge influence. Enlarge your influence by reaching out past your disappointments and those who disappointed you. Through letting the love of God find another destination through you. Another avenue through you. wants to enlarge your demotion may actually be a promotion your divestment may actually be a reinvestment hold on don't give up preach the Gentiles believed on in the world Christ's Christ's righteous Enduring of extremely disappointing things resulting in the blessing of the world. Making the world a better place for those who are genuine believers. The preaching of the gospel to the Gentiles was due in part to the closing of doors to it in Israel. And God used these disappointing closures to direct or redirect His church to preach the gospel everywhere. Resulting in His being believed on around the unbelieving world. How to handle disappointment is respond accordingly. Work to save this world of disappointment. The pain you're feeling is real. And there are other people in pain that's also real. But they don't know the Savior who can be relied upon to bring you through. You know that He's helped you in the past. And you know he's going to help you in the future. And this present time, there's just a character building thing that happens. He's wanting, see, God wanting to make us like his son. And if everything goes our way, will that ever happen? You ever been around a child that gives everything they ever want? What kind of adult does that child become? You know, Proverbs says, spare the rod, which which is a symbol of authority more than an instrument of being. <coughs> spare the rod, or spare authority, or spare punishment. <coughs> I think Ben Franklin said, spoil the child. But the Bible says, spare the rod, hate the child. A child raised without discipline will become a person that everyone hates. And so, in becoming like Christ, our Father is not going to give us every single thing we want. Because what we want is not necessarily what He wants. His will reigns supreme, right? He's God, and I'm not. Got that revelation more than once. Back to our point. Work to save the world disappointed. Hell will be full of a whole lot of disappointed people. We should look past our temporary disappointments toward the needs of those who experience it eternally and do something fresh and new that we have never done before to show them God's love and His saving truth. How to handle disappointment. Completely surrender to God and His will. Let God be your vindication. Recognize the real drama. Enlarge your influence, work to save this world of disappointment. Let's read our text again. 
without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Remember, he's talking about how to behave in the church. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. Received up into glory is our last point today in handling disappointment. Keep in mind that Jesus had his eyes on the real prize. The eternal reward while suffering the world's greatest disappointment, he had his eyes on eternity. It was going to be worth it all, and it certainly was. Amen? Anybody glad? Hebrews chapter 12. You may have heard it a million times, but the truth it holds will never go away. It says, We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So we all have a race to run. And here's how we do it. Verse 2. This is how we run the race. Looking unto Jesus... The author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. How did he endure the cross? He endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him. Despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He despised the shame of the cross, but he endured it anyway. You may despise the disappointment that you're in. Or that you're facing. But you can endure it by looking to Jesus, who endured his cross by looking at the joy that was set before him. He was going back to heaven. He was going to be at the right hand of the Father, the position of authority. He was given a name that was above every name. Every knee will bow. Everyone who harmed him will repent. And ask for his forgiveness. For some it will be too late. So for him he endured because it was going to be worth it. For believers all of our disappointments are temporary. But our heavenly rewards are all eternal. So when I'm having a temporary disappointment. I can be encouraged by looking toward the eternal reward. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your eternal plan. This plan of redemption that gave us eternal life. And yet the ripple effect of that um, impacts our whole life here on earth, Lord. I pray, Lord, for those of us who are facing unspeakable disappointments. I ask you to encourage them with your truth today. In Jesus' name, may the example of Jesus that was set before us become life to us. And may through your scriptures, may you bring rainbow words that are far more eloquent, powerful, and persuading and convincing than my people efforts here today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Remember, it will be worth it all. There's an old... Uh, Song we used to sing in church. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials seem so strong. When we see Christ, one glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run this race. Till we see Christ. I know I'm old school. More contemporary is Tommy Walker's song. This guy can sing and write songs and play guitar like nobody's business. His song <clears throat> says it will be worth it all someday. It will have been worth it to go the straight and narrow way. 
when we finally see his face and feel his strong embrace, it will be worth it all that day. These present troubles don't compare to all the glory our God he has prepared. But when and when we finally see his face and feel his strong embrace, it will be worth it all that day. I can hear the angel celebrate as he calls my name. I can hear the Father say, well done, my good and faithful servant, well done. And it will be worth it all. It will be worth it all someday. The book of Hebrews tells us that we have a high priest, Jesus, who's passed into the heavens, who knows the feelings of our infirmities. Believe me, he knows what disappointment is like. And we're able to go boldly to him to find help and strength in our time of need. And I know by experience that in going to the throne of grace, there are some things he will not change, at least quick enough for me. But he will give me grace to endure and develop my trust in him and my love for other people and expand my world and my vision beyond my understanding. <coughs> so you have a priest, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who's in heaven, who cares about your smallest disappointment. And it's not I ever care today to demean anyone who's facing some kind of disappointment. And try to belittle that in light of the greatest point that Christ face. He knows. And he has a heart for you and I. And he can help us. Because he is making us like himself. That's his agenda. So he'll have it. He has no joy in the agony of his children, but he has joy in the transformation of his people. So I'd like to play you a song. It's another song by Rita Springer called Worth It All. And before I do, I'd like to call the ministry team forward. And if there's anyone here who would like to receive prayer or to be agreed with in prayer, we're here to go to the throne of grace with you for you in your time of need, whether it's a disappointment or something else. So if the ministry team could join me up front here, and uh, I'm just going to put this song on, listen to it, and come forward and receive prayer that the Lord would quicken you. We're here to minister love, grace, hope, peace, and healing to you. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you and may He give you grace as you face disappointments. More than anything, that you would understand and never forget that God has a plan, and the big part of that plan is to make you like Himself. Amen. We're here to minister.
serving one another in your glory. In Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you that it is no rebirth at all. Ask the Lord to bless them and keep them. Cause your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. And give them your peace. In your precious name. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. It's going to be worth it, saints. Amen. You're going to score the team.